You ready to get going? Yeah, let's are go. You, are, you, are you nervous? I'm not. You, what the fuck would ever make you nervous, honestly? Uh, well, I've, I used to, uh, to be public speaking. I used to get so nervous to the point of vomiting um, for about the first 10,000 people that I led to. But after about 10,000, it started to go away. And after I hit, I don't know, somewhere around 15,000, it stopped being a thing. That was not a wheelhouse. That was something that I needed to invent to fulfill purposes. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Trevor Halpern, and this is the What's Halperning podcast. Again, these are our abbreviated Zoom versions. Um, I'm calling them the COVID Chronicles. These are the, the shorter versions of um, I'm having the guests on that I plan on having on for the full versions. And uh, today I am uh, honored to have uh, to have my friend, to have my uh, one of my mentors, to have my brother from another mother, uh, my, my business coach, my executive coach, Zanzibar Vermiglio on here. A lot of you out there have heard me uh, say this name and refer to him as the, uh, the man from the future. So thank you for coming uh, back to uh, modern times uh, from the future <laughs> to join me on this. Why am I the man from the future? I've never heard dude, this before. Your name, like the whole thing, dude. Like, okay, so here's how I describe it. All right. When I talk about you, people are like, Zanzibar. And I'm like, right? He sounds like he's from the future. And people are like, yeah, he does. And I'm like, he kind of is. Like, you to me are like um, Rufus in, uh, in um, what's the movie with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where he steps out of the freaking phone booth and is like, hey, you two are going to be great. Come with me. You ready? And they're like, yeah. And that's kind of what you do. You're like, listen, man, you got some potential. You're going to be awesome. This is going to be easy. Just come on, come with me. So I, I jumped in the phone booth with Zanzibar. <laughs> you know, a year and a half or two years later, here we are. I do have the benefit of being able to choose who I work with. I can be choosy a little bit. I do have that benefit. And uh, I don't know. I, I tell people I live in an ivory tower. I, I talk with some of the best people. I've ever met in life, some of the best people I believe uh, in North America or planet Earth for the people I work with overseas. I work with really, really, really terrific, heart forward, higher conscious people and create architectures from win at things. And then they win at things. Well, how could they do anything but win at things? They're amazing people. And then uh, uh, I have the satisfaction of watching things bloom and grow and be amazing all the time. And uh, hardly uh, ever a space of judgment or concern or worry. Uh, it's all just uh, building things that are amazing and, and winning at, at life. It, I, I live in this ivory tower. I, it, it's, it's, it is so not reality. No, but it is. And that's, dude, I mean, we just, we just had our, uh, a coaching call. We just got off and then get on this. And one of the last things that we talked about is like, I get to do this. I, I get to build, I get to, to build things the way I want to build them and serve me and my family the way I want them served. And it's so cool and it's so empowering. But to what you said, it's not, it's all from higher consciousness. Like your whole thing, it, like the way you've taught me how to be a manager and an employer is like, you, you have to, the biggest component is holding their future honorably in your hand. Like, so we're doing, it's not like I'm going to plug this employee in and I'm going to pay them $30,000. I'm going to make 65 on them and dot, you know, I'm stacking more chips. So I'm winning. That is like, never once been any part of the discussion it's like you are excited for me to keep bringing people into the fold so that i can help them to grow and realize their potential and then kick them the hell out of the nest and say go get it like that the, the way that you're able to 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 pass that along not only to me but the however many other clients you have 
um, so that they are living their life as a manager and employer to help empower people and help them reach their potential is so cool. And you like, you've told me like, just wait, like just wait. As you see that happen with your employees, as you see, as you take this mold of clay and you, you help mold it, but then they mold themselves and they just go off and hit. Like it's so empowering. You just, you come from a, a space of empowerment and, um, I feel with you, with you sitting in front of your P51 Mustang when we're on our calls, um, I feel empowered. I literally feel like I can do, um, you know, if, if I have an opportunity, you, you know, oh, you, whatever, listing subdivisions or something that I've never done, it's like, well, I'll just call Zans, we'll build an architecture for it. We'll do it. That's right. And if, if you think from, there's for sure what people want. You want your business to produce X, Y, and Z in terms of income. Uh, quality of life for your family and, and quality of life itself. So there are things you take into account when you're building an architecture for a company, but never forgetting that the business exists to make an impact in life. The business does not exist to pay bills. The business does not exist to uh, send people to college. The business does not exist to give you what you want. The business exists to create something in the marketplace and to create something for employees and to create something in the world. And that quality of something being brought to the world is what buys you the ticket for all the other things that you want. Um, money always follows value. So if you keep your attention on the generation of value, but beyond that, if you can keep your attention on what is the developmental, what develops me next? What, are the, what, what should I be holding next? You'll see so many entrepreneurs get stuck in whatever phase of development they ended up in where they were effective. So a lot of entrepreneurs uh, end up stuck in not ever really being able to translate the intentions that they have for their business through other people. They just do it themselves and they're really good doers, which is great. You have to, the action is the only thing that produces results. So you have to be connected to action and you have to be really good at taking actions. And most entrepreneurs never scale. What's the next phase of my development? Because they're able to make ends meet just being a really good doer. Well, to have things scale, just being good at doing things doesn't buy you a ticket into the next level. The next level is, can I be the author of other people's performance? And then how much of a leader can I become? And then can I have people underneath me become the author of other people's performance? And then what, what does that look like for a leadership quality to have others mentoring others in a business that garners and shapes a, a development architecture for each person as they move through spaces of being effective in life? Um, as businesses grow, so should the person who is holding the business and uh, able to able to command that business from from larger and larger spaces of what of what they can see, what they can hold, and what they can manifest in other people and, and in their business around them. Uh, but so few people make those transitions; they don't see those transitions about what they can hold. Um, but you know, uh, Trevor, you're one of those. Well, thank well that thank you. I mean, well, and that's because I've been you know brought under under your fold, you know, thankfully because of my association with North and co and them introducing me to you and the performance initiative. And then us, you know, uh, taking off on, on individual coaching. But I mean, like what you said, it's, if we rewind the tape and you go back to like, you know, they don't know what the next thing is. Like most entrepreneurs are just head down. Like, dude, I got it. I like, I'm just doing the thing. I'm in the salt mine. I'm doing the thing. And they're not pulling up and, and doing the work, you know, on the business. They're just working in the business and you take it. So like, with the way that you help your clients build their vision, you're taking it to the moon. Like, all right, what do you want out of the business? And it's like, well, I, you know, I want, I don't know. I want my family to be fed and 
be able to go on vacation. And it's like, okay, well then what? Well, I want to make a, a lot of money. It's like, oh, okay, well, but what does that money do? And then, then you start thinking and like with you and I, like you kept challenging me to the point where I'm like, dude, all right, I want, like, I want to spend two months out of the year traveling across this country with my family and enriching our life experiences. And you're like, that's it. There it is. That's it. That's your top line. Like you want this out of life. Now let's build the business up. Let's reverse engineer that business to get you to this top line goal, which is enriching my life experiences with my family. Like, yes. Now how do we do that? And then that's what we've worked on. And so it's the empowerment comes from not only like the other, the other, you know, coaches that I've, that I've dealt with and they've been real estate specific. It's so like formulaic where it's like, well, listen, you want to make $500,000 a year. So you need to make 677 calls a day, which translates to 57 appointments in an afternoon, which translates to seven listings a minute. And it's like, ah, like to what? Oh, and now you're going to make 500 grand. So there you go. It's like, it just, it seems hollow. So it's just a different approach that, um, dude, I, you know, you know, I've bought into, uh, I've started speaking like you when it comes to like, the management things that pop up um, when people are talking about their businesses, it's like, well, have you done this and that? Like the language translates so universally. And once you hear it, you're like, God, it makes sense. What? It, like, it's not hard. Um, but that leads me like to my next question. How did you get going in this world? How did you know that you could help people um, to, to find their potential in their businesses and, and, and their human aptitude. I mean, that's really it, dude. Like you're not only helping me build a business, but you're helping me to realize who I am as, as a person and as a um, leader and as a uh, business owner. Like there's so much, um, it's so dynamic. I like, how do you even get going? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I remember there's two, there's two different answers to that question. Uh, I remember the first company that, uh, uh, 11 years, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, the first company that I said, well, I'll double the size of your company and uh, uh, give me X amount of dollars and I'll double the size of your company. And he said, okay. And my palms were sweaty and I didn't know how to do it. And what, how the hell am I going to make that happen? And I had my tech company when I was younger. And then with the business that I worked in after I got out of that tech company, um, uh, I had produced uh, incredible results. And I thought that I was tracking on what was at the heart of producing results in business. But uh, I remember the first time I, I, I said it out loud that I was going to do that. And I gave a price tag to what it was going to take for me to do that with somebody's business. Uh, it scared the crap out of me. And I think out of fear and panic alone, I generated the things that I needed to generate and the creativity necessary to make it happen. But that's not unlike the way that it was with the tech company. That's not completely unlike the way that it was with the business I worked in for 10 years after that. And um, there is trying to empower oneself with, uh, with the weight of what is that purpose. And if that purpose really is what matters, then it is a little bit scary because you don't, you don't really know. Now that I've done it so many times, it doesn't scare me anymore. Uh, but every single time it's still new. How are we going to reverse engineer this particular set of outcomes? How are we going to get it done this time? Um, so the first answer to how did I do it the first time was, I don't know, probably just panic. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I've, been a I've been a student of the game of, if you look at aptitude, you said we're, you know, you've, you're helping me find a new level of aptitude. 
I've been a student of what that is. If aptitude is the set of what a human being can readily accomplish, let's just say that that's a human being's aptitude. What can they readily accomplish? Mm -hmm. um, what it is to be Trevor Halpern in terms of a, a quality of aptitude is a, an incredibly elastic concept. What it is to be Zanzibar and how much aptitude does Zanzibar have is an incredibly elastic concept. But the truth is it's that way for every human being. There is not one human being that has a static aptitude. It can grow, it can shrink. Um, and uh, I've, I've learned over the years being a, a, a student of that game. I've been, I was really curious about that when I was 17 years old and, uh, and, and afterward graduating high school and uh, getting into the, the technology field. Um, I, was, I was a student of, well, what gives rise to the ability to accomplish results? Is it experience? No. Is it education? No. Is it somebody's genetics? Nope. Is it all their decisions they've made in the past? Mm -mm. So what is it? What is it? What, what, what gives rise to this thing called what somebody can readily accomplish? Um, if we took uh, a set of outcomes and we had 10 different people try to accomplish that set of outcomes, they'd all go about it in a different way, but they could all absolutely empower themselves to accomplish that set of outcomes. Nobody would be devoid of being able to get it done. We might go about it differently, but we, but everybody has the capability of rising to the occasion to get it done. Um, and silly examples, you could, you could say, um, uh, the, if, if somebody ran in here right now and said, Zans, by some strange set of circumstances, you've got to fix the Panama Canal in three days or your daughter's going to die. All of a sudden, I become the guy who fixes Panama canals in three days. That, I'm, I'm not somebody who can do that. But then all of a sudden, I can imagine myself becoming the guy that does that immediately and without hesitation. Yeah. So where does all that come from? Well, there are, there are certainly things to train people in, to have them go through certain transitions in owning business at a higher and higher level and owning executiveship at a higher and higher level and, and owning leadership at the level of moving people to higher states of their own consciousness and ability to produce results as an executive. There are certain transitions to make and I've, been, I've learned how to take people through those transitions, but the truth is a human being's aptitude ends up ridiculously elastic. You, there, there is not a human being that can't anything, I'm convinced. Um, so, uh, so I start with that premise that, that human beings are automatically amazing if they have their attention on the right things and then it's our job as leaders to make sure that people uh, keep moving forward in the right way and having their attention on the right things. Well, and I think that's, I, and that's, I mean, that encompasses so much of what you, um, the baseline of how you have, how you instill this. Um, what's interesting to me and what is instantly um, uh, made me gravitate to you and your approach. Um, and I suspect it's why Brian North gravitated to you and, um, why so many agents at North and Co, why so many other people even outside of our organization and in different industries gravitate. It's that, it's that higher consciousness thing, right? It's that like, you know, you can pop in a, a, a training CDs and, you know, whatever. Um, you can download programs, you can hear them. And it, it all just seems to be like a more of a money-based, a financial thing. And it, it's like, it's so, that's so little of what we talk about. I mean, yes, there are metrics that, um, where it's easy to point to the result and say, or, you know, what, what's a pipeline forecast looking like, but that the idea of overlaying higher consciousness and pulling people 
getting people to realize their aptitude and go up and reach it. How did you, at what point did you intermix that into what you do? Or has that always been part of it? Where did that portion, the like left brain, right brain, where did the super analytical, you know, Zanzibar get that like big heart, that big connectedness type vibe? Where, where'd that come from? Uh, I think that came uh, a long time ago. The, the first instance I had of that, I'm going to give you a strange story. Like, I love strange stories. It's a weird story. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, 15 years old and I was in high school and I got sent to um, a drum major camp in Michigan. There was uh, a college uh, in the middle of Mich uh, Michigan, in Holland, Michigan. I can't remember which college it was. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it was a camp for drum majors. I was the drum major of the high school band. I was the junior drum major. I was the, I was the apprentice drum major for the high school band. Um, and uh, I remember it was uh, I remember being there, and it was my second time. Actually, no, I was the drum major. Now I was I was I was junior drum major for freshman year and sophomore year. I became the drum major of the band because he graduated, and um, and uh, I remember being there. And uh, so much of my life to that point had been about me. And uh, uh, I don't know, it's just uh, like my life was kind of, uh, I, I saw this pic snapshot while I was talking with this one gal, I forget her name. She was, I don't know, young. She was in her uh, mid twenties probably. And she was a, a drum major instructor and she was, at, you know, she was a counselor at this camp. And uh, I was talking with her and I realized how much we weren't even talking about this. I don't even know why I had this realization. I had this realization talking to her um, that uh, so much of my life was based around me and having me be something in the world and because of what I enjoyed or what I wanted to be or this or that. And when I was talking with her, it became obvious that there wasn't anything really truly fulfilling about chasing, getting to be something in the world. All that was fulfilling was something that I could make happen in the world for others or out in the world outside of me. And I remember having this like realization, like this uh, ep epiphany moment where the clouds parted and the sunshine shone through. And I wish I could remember the, the, the gal's name. And uh, I, I resolved that I was going to have the rest of my camp experience do nothing other than what was going to support what wanted to happen outside of me. What was what, like, I was going to help the instructors. I was going to help the other students. I was going to help I was going to support whatever I needed to, but I was only going to be available to support people. And I didn't give a shit about myself for the rest of drum major camp. And I remember being addicted to that. I remember it was like, this is so much better than all of the concern that I put into it, uh, looking good and being great and having people think of me well. And this is just so much better than all the shit that I concerned myself with all the time. And, um, I wasn't good at it at first, uh, but at drum major camp, I was good at it. But then in my life with my family and my brothers and my sisters and my mom and I couldn't get along, I wasn't good at finding a way to translate that into life yet. It was, it was for sure I found a, a, a way to do that um, as a drum major, but I didn't find a way to do that in life yet, really. And uh, something over the next 10 years of my life, I found myself getting better and better and better at how do you find what purpose really matters rather than what I want or what is of concern to me. Like, 
being appreciated or looking good to other people or being well thought of or whatever the things are that I care about to myself in the privacy of my own thinking. Um, I found a way to become more and more aligned with what, what truly matters in the world. And I think that, 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 that moment at drum major camp was where it started. Dude, how profound it, as a 15 year old to, to have that, to have that realization and have, that happen and guide your future from 15 on. I mean, that's, that is, um, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's you, you touched on, um, uh, something, um, six months ago or so, uh, at the Magnus project, um, conference with the Endeavor. Maybe it was long, maybe it was longer than that, maybe a year ago, um, approaching it. And, um, you you had an anecdote. You had a story about a conversation that you had with your dad that literally changed my life. Like instantly, I felt one of those epiphany moments during the conference where I was like, like I applied what you said. And I are you are, you know what I'm talking about? Are you willing to share that? Like, and how you were 17 when you had that conversation with your dad, right? Um, which one are you talking about? The one, the one where you said, "I this is how I view you." This is who I know you are, and it was like that one. That's yeah. I was seventeen when I had that conversation. Yeah. Will you explain that conversation? Because it it had such an impact. Like it's one that I go back to. I I, I pull out mentally, probably every two or three months. Yeah. There was. Um, I remember that I wanted to have. I, I just uh, my dad and I didn't have much of a relationship. He and I got along um, pretty well, but we didn't have much of a relationship. He was a very stoic Sicilian man. Um, if you had watched the movie, the Godfather, he acted like that. Like he was untouchable and very stoic and very right and wrong. Um, uh, had a lot of, uh, integrity around, uh, what he believed in, um, was a, an entrepreneur, business owner, owned nine businesses. Uh, he was, um, uh, but a very, very, very hard line of, around life and, uh, kind of emotionally unavailable. Like it left him not really connected with his kids. Um, and I remember, um, I remember one night I had a, had a, I had a, a, a conversation with him. Like I just wanted him to know. And I, and, uh, uh, I, I remember telling him, um, I asked him if he, it was late at night and I asked him, uh, uh, if he could, um, uh, he, my dad liked to watch Jeopardy and he would record a bunch of them, especially if he was out of town on business or something and he'd come home and he'd watch the recordings of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And after every question, after every answer, this is Jeopardy, after every answer, he'd pause it to think of the question so that he'd have time to come up with the answer without having to ring the buzzer. And he'd come up with it and then he'd play it. And, you know, that, that's how he would reaffirm his intelligence every evening. <laughs> and uh, he, was watching, he was watching Jeopardy and uh, he was sitting at the edge. He would sit at the edge of the, at the, edge of the sofa uh, straight up in his chair and he'd, you know, be like do, doing this to the television. I remember I, uh, I, I, uh, I asked him, I said, dad, uh, can we, can we talk for a few minutes? And he said, sure. And he was still watching Jeopardy. I said, well, can we, can we turn off, can we turn off Jeopardy for a couple of minutes? And he was real annoyed. He looked at me like, well, what the hell? And he just, and he paused it and he goes, what? And uh, I was like, well, I, don't really know what I just wanted. I just wanted you to know that uh, I really love so many things about you. And I've tried to model so much of myself 
after you and the integrity that you live your life with and how you operate in this world and how you go out of your way to provide for us as a family and um, what it means to be a strong man in America and what that means to be um, to, to, to be in a, a demonstration of strength and honor and integrity and a provider for family and all of those things. I want you to know those are things that I want to grow up to be in life and I want to grow up to be those things because of you and I watch how you do them. And it was the first time in my life I'd ever seen my dad cry. And, uh, and I told him um, uh, that, uh, that that's who he is for me and that's who he'll always be for me is that is, uh, are those things. And, uh, th and that's true. And uh, ever since that moment, I've had it be for me that it doesn't matter what my dad does. It's my job to have my dad be right. <laughs> Whatever my dad does is perfect. And I don't care if he shoots me in the leg. If he shoots me in the leg, then I'm going to ask him to ride to the hospital with me and tell me a joke. I don't care. My dad can't. <laughs> it's impossible for my dad to mess up. Everything he does is absolutely the thing that was supposed to, that, that was, he was exactly what he was supposed to do. And he has that permission for me for the rest of his life. Because so much of who he is is grounded in what you told not him. Like it doesn't matter. This is separately. who you are. Yep. Not even because of, just separately. I just determined my dad no longer has, there's, he gets a free pass, anything. He's, he, anything that he does, I'm going to make it okay. Now, is that what – now, is – so why does he get that? What, what allows generosity. him that? Just generosity. It's just an act of generosity to give that to him. It's a grace to give someone. Um, and very few people have that in my life, I realize. I don't give that grace to very many people. It's super interesting, and it, it really is something that, that – that has been, it's been profound for me and it's been profound in thinking through various relationships. And it is like, this is who you are. Like I, I, I don't ever want people's like how they act to affect who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this is who you are. And let's not let the actions, you know, allow to pull me away from who I know you to truly be. I don't know. That's just, to me, it's that, that I, and especially coming from a, a 17 year old kid, man, you, 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 uh, you had a lot going on in your, in your, uh, in the mind of Zanzibar from 15 to 17. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, I, I definitely danced the tune of a different drummer, but, but, but some of my, but some of my other friends did too. I had, I had friends that were, that were that way. I, and I've had mentors in life at an early age. Um, uh, Arthur Brock, one of them, um, uh, I've had, I've had some really, really, really amazing mentors from a, from a young age who are dialed into some dialed into a very, very fine, fine, fine detail of what matters in life and, and looking at the right things. It's so liberating. I mean, and that, when you do focus and that's, that's so much what you do is focusing on what, what matters and how to empower it and how to move it forward. And that if, that if you know what matters and if you uh, have the ability to do what matters, if you don't do it, then you're not fulfilling your, what you should be doing. Like, it's almost a shame if you know what you should be and could be doing um, that matters and you're not doing it. It's, it's wasting the life experience and it's wasting, you know, your, your maximum potential. I think it's the definition of all suffering. I think all suffering for human being does not come from circumstances. I think circumstances are indubitably survivable. Um, I think that when a human being suffers, it's because they either, are conscious enough to see what really matters and turned away from it for some reason um, to be, you know, judgmental or right or for whatever mm -hmm. reason from something and then they suffer or 
they're, they haven't, they're not conscious enough to take it apart at a mental level, but even for human beings that aren't conscious enough to take that apart in a mental construct, the, the, all human beings are conscious enough intuitively and with their heart to, to feel what's on and what's off. And so even when somebody is not quite self-aware to be able to take it apart, they're still going to suffer. Human beings suffer if they're not able to empower what, what their heart and spirit is really attracted to or what really matters. Um, human, that's to me the definition of where suffering comes from. I think that's so, that's so, um, it's eye-opening when you think about it like that. And it's eye-opening to think about, um, it's the empowerment Right. And that's where, that's where you've given me so much strength in your processes and working with you. It's like, you want to do X, do it. Let's reverse engineer it. You can do it. Like, I think so much of why we, we sit in that zone of suffering. And like you said, is like, we don't feel empowered, right? We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. And some people find comfort in that, in that self-flagellation, right? Like that's just like their, um, uh, as, uh, Al Fuentes said, that's like their boot up, you know, their, the root software is just like going down that path as opposed to saying, no, you can change it. I think that's where um, now that I've been down this path with you, now that we've gone and now that I've seen my business molding instead of being like, ah, you know, like I'm working and things are coming and I'm, and I'm working and I don't know why now that we're like focused and have a path and are driving, it is so empowering and it is so like um, it becomes a self-actualization thing you start to see, like you said, you're like, um, and this may have been before we started recording, but it's like, you know, you, you envision, you know, being the guy. And I, I even said that to, um, to Beth the other day. It's like, you, you feel like you can be the guy and then you start acting like the guy and then you start becoming the guy right now working with you. It's like, there's a path. It's, it's not, yeah, on paper, it's linear. You know, we have things that come up that it's like, Oh, well that now we're off to the side. And Oh my God, we just took a step back. They're like, let's go. You know, like it's, it's on paper linear life happens and it gets disjointed, but you always see the target when you do it. Right. And that's, it's just been all around, man, profound and um, empowering and uh, soul filling. And um, it just makes you want to just keep going and like what's next and what's next. It's like going on a pretty hike. You may be tired, but you're like, what's, what's up around that corner. You know, you just want to like keep, going because you're in this zone of fun and beauty and creativity. And that's where like, that's one of the most profound things that you've said too, to me is that um, something to the effect this is a paraphrase of, of uh, Zanzibar, the great um, is, is to um, that it, an entrepreneur is in their ultimate position when they're sitting in a hundred percent space of creativity, strip away all the nonsense, the tasky stuff and be in, and have it so that your business is humming so that you can sit there and be creative and think about what's next. Who am I going to work with next? What else can we be doing? And like that, there have been flashes in my business where I feel like I'm getting like where I'm getting there. And we've talked about it. It's like, dude, I'm feeling like the, the creative juices are firing because we only have so much capacity. Right. And if my brain is at 110%, things are just falling out because I can't stay in. Like when I start taking those big chunks out and handing them off, um, to, uh, to staff, employees, and, and teammates, and I started handing that off. Now there's a vacuum in there that gets filled with like, you know, you know how my brain works. It gets filled first with craziness, then with, <laughs> then with creativity, and then you know with with fun or whatever. But it but it gets filled. It gets filled with the good stuff instead of the the heavy, nasty, gnarly stuff. Yeah. So well, I think that's a good spot to to 
to uh, to jump off in. We just burned about a half an hour. We, I can't wait to have you on for a full sesh. We're gonna get we're gonna get uh, even deeper than than we got. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing, man. I uh, you know I I love you so much, and I've learned so much from you about life and about business and um, just about coming to things from from the right direction. So thanks for the time today and and always. Love you too, bud. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, like, I can't wait. I can't believe we just talked for a half an hour. That's crazy, man. Well, that's, that, that, that makes a, what, what, what do we have? A total, total talk time today of uh, 90 minutes. It's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. We'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Kick ass, bud. All right. Bye. Later.